the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey, everybody, welcome to Oral Sessions. Back at it again. Today's episode is brought to you in part with one of the coolest dudes, one of the best actors who I firmly believe will one day win an Oscar. Um, I really, truly believe that. This man's so immensely talented, such a bright spot, such a huge wrestling fan as well. Uh, joining me today is Paul Walter Hauser. Uh, just, he's such a great dude. He's a friend of mine. Finally had him on the show and like not even bullshitting. When I started doing the show, he was like instantly on my short list of being able to like have on here uh, I would say outside of the wrestling world, but honestly, I don't even really feel like he is outside the wrestling world because he is such a fan and he talks about it so much and he is so involved in the wrestling community. Um, but anyways, we had such a great chat and you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, also, he's got um, Cruella coming out. Uh, that's going to be out on May 28th on Disney+. Plus. You guys can see that there. He's playing Horace. I can't wait to see this movie anyways, but him to be able to work with Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, we talk about all that, all the other projects that he's been able to work on from, you know, I, Tanya, Kingdom, Black Klansman, Richard Jewell. This dude is just, he's all over the place, constantly booked and busy. But the thing he really wants to do is play Arne Anderson in a movie, telling the tales of the four horsemen. I could not be more behind this. Um, so guys, let's just get into it. Here it is. Here's my dude. Paul Walter Hauser. What are you in, like, the happiest room in the world? Yeah, this is the happiest room. I just got these new candles, this, like, Kush boys smell thing. Ooh. It's really nice. They're, like, I love a good masculine smell, you know? They're earthy. Yeah, you're, are you a little, uh, if, if you're doing Yankee Candle, are you a little less peach palmetto thing and more of like a uh like a like something that smells like a compost pile yeah yeah like if there's like campfire or like freshly smoked cigarettes that's what i'm gonna be buying yeah my favorite yankee candle is bowling alley <laughs> yeah, it's the best whatever just you know brings me down a notch humbles me a little bit that's what i like my candles yes. to be like wait guys this is great shit what are we doing are we recording what's happening we're recording we are recording. We are good. Emilio, I am recording on my end. We are all good. So we can kick this bitch off. Before, I think I don't think we were recording at that point, but like, dude, I've been really pumped to have you on the show. Thank you. I've been pumped to come on it. And um, just as a fan of what you do and what you did with, uh, with you know, Connecticut, I just want to say like seeing you put out the the cookbook and doing the podcast and knowing that you're also a competent improviser, an actor. Like, I'm just excited to see where you go. I'm really, really happy you have all this creative freedom. It's exciting. It's a blast. It's really an exciting time. Like, it's weird to step away from something that you've had so much, like, stability with and you've been doing the same thing for so long to step away from that. And you're like, wait, am I okay to step away from doing this? But it feels great. It's nice to, like... Yeah, creatively kind of scratch a little itch and have some fun. And now I'm going to have a baby, so that'll put me on the back burner for a hot second. But then I'm coming out hot. I will say this. I watched the Backstreet Boys documentary. Uh, I don't remember recall the name of it, but I've seen it like four times because I have problems. And one of the things they talk about in that documentary is they say that after they had a hit album, they immediately had to jump right back in the studio and do their sophomore album. And then they kind of got tuckered out and were depleted and it wasn't as good. And I think this moment with your pregnancy, it's like having a baby, you're going to refill the creative coffer. You're going to like replenish all these brilliant things and then they're going to come out in all your endeavors. It's going to be amazing. I love that. Yeah. I mean, listen, call me Nick Carter and let's get this train on the tracks. I'm ready to go. You just basically said my safe word, um, <laughs> which is Nick Carter and get this train on the track. Those two things are usually. I'm glad that they've lined up. What other music documentaries are you into? Oh my gosh. I love pop music, like documentaries. I think they're so, they're so weird. You know, I watched that Bieber one, never say never like a thousand How years ago. Good is that though? 
I mean, it's great because like, listen, when I was 16, I was like the dumbest person alive. Like I couldn't have been a roadie for Bieber at 16 and he's like doing his <laughs> shit. So, yeah, you know, I'm always fascinated by the sweat equity and all the like nuance to what they do. But then there's always that infamous moment in a pop star documentary where it's like, you guys, I'm not able to handle this. You guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I feel it's, seen you know, in you that moment. You slap a little respect on their name of these people. Like you talk about a Bieber or like someone you're like, oh, Justin Bieber, he's so famous. And you like, you kind of want to look for these flaws in these people. And then you watch these documentaries and they're so humanizing. And you're like, man, that guy is so talented. Like I did that with the Katy Perry documentary. Man, was I ever crying during Katie that Perry, one. Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Demi Lovato just put a, a docuseries on YouTube. Oh, I've not seen hers. I heard that's good. She's came out as non-binary yeah, like this good week. for her. I think she's, um, I don't know the girl. I've never met her. I've seen her in concert once with Nick Jonas and she was incredible. And uh, I think a lot of these people, and it's not just a pop star thing. It's obviously a human conundrum, which is we all have a moment where we have to press pause and just kind of do a reevaluation, almost like getting a physical, like you need a spiritual, mental, physical sometimes to figure out, are you on the right track? Or are you basically veering off the road and falling asleep as you drive? You know, get, you got to get that train back on the tracks. As we say, I'm saying I'm worried about Demi. <laughs> I think she's okay. I think she's okay. She goes through it, but yeah, I mean, you watch even like the, like, you know, bring up like the Britney Spears documentary, you see what everyone goes through. And it's like, you really forget to humanize these people and we revere them so much and we put so much pressure on them to, to always be perfect and to always put on this brave face. It's like, Oh my God, you can't even like imagine how much these people are struggling in the day. And it likes to surround yourself with good people. Do you surround yourself with good people? I feel like you must, you know, a lot of my closer friends are people from back home in Michigan where I grew up um, and folks who like are in the industry, but they're not like at the top of the heap. Like most of my friends aren't walking the red carpet. They're like nestled up, you know, in some Hugo blanket with their spouse writing a screenplay. Like those are the people I mostly hang out with, but um, those are the people that have the good parties too. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. Absolutely. <laughs> I count myself among them. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I found myself personally just having to, really trim the fat. I think some people take on too much. I don't know how you felt at WWE and it's none of my business outside of what you want to share, but I just, I wonder, were there moments where you just wanted to press pause, but you knew you couldn't? Yes, absolutely. And you know, that's the thing with WWE. And I've talked about this before in interviews too, but like the way that I made my exit from WWE was sort of at that perfect time with you know, with the unfortunate events of COVID and being in this pandemic, but it forced everyone to slow down. And that's when I could see my window where I was like, whoa, I can actually push pause here because things just go, go, go. I mean, the WWE world, it's like you're on to Raw, you're on to SmackDown. We've got another pay-per-view. We're pushing to SummerSlam. Now we're pushing to WrestleMania. Like it's really hard to find that window. Everything's a build and there's always something else. There's always another show and you're always kind of booked for something else. So once there was like that little bit of a lull, I saw that moment was like, I got to take this right now or I don't know what's going to happen. Otherwise you end up signing on for another couple of years and you're stuck there kind of spinning your wheels for a bit. And that can be very depleting. You put so much effort into something and if you feel like you're not really getting that same thing back from it anymore. It can be, uh, yeah, you're kind of burning your candle on both ends. Yeah. I think that is good to clock and acknowledge and, and take the temperature for. And I think it's also a matter of, you know, how do you do your best work? Cause, um, there are some things I could say yes to, but maybe because of the environment or the people involved, I wouldn't get the best work out of myself. And I, I think like there could be somebody who brings me a, a movie and they're like, Hey, read this script. We'll pay you X amount of money to play this part. If I don't really feel that I can play that part, I'm not going to say yes. Even if I need the money, like I hold my work too precious to do something like that. So those are tough, weird decisions. You know, I'm sure WWE was paying well and to turn away from that and do your own thing. It's like, that's, that's a layered risk. You know, it's not easy to do. It really isn't, you know, especially in our world too, where, you know, for so many years, you're always trying to find what that, you know, what our version of stability is going to be when it's like kind of job to job, you're trying to find something to pay the bills and give yourself some sort of feeling of success amongst that of just being able to pay bills and not feeling like, oh my God, 
what have I done? I've risked so much. What the hell? That once you you're in that spot to then be like, wait, am I actually really loving this anymore? It's a ballsy move to be like, no, I'm going to go try to restart over here again and see what you, you know, you build equity over time amongst each project, but it still can be like, shit, here we go back to the beginning, trying to like scratch and claw again a little bit. It can be a little gnarly. You know, I think those risks, they're always going to be risky, even when you're in a, at a high level. I mean, like, um, like Dwayne Johnson, like his whole thing of like, I'm now going to do a tequila company. I'm now going to start a production company. A lot of people just assume the conclusion will be something profitable and magnificent, but those are saturated markets. It doesn't matter that he's famous. It's still a huge leap to jump into those worlds and be an entrepreneur and put your own money and name at stake. And and I, I think one message I would give to people on the come up, people who are doing what we do, it's like, just be prepared that like, even when you make it, there's going to be new hurdles because you're going to want to jump higher. You're going to reset the hurdles. And you, you know, you look at somebody like The Rock and he is, you know, the most famous person in the world, but which helps. That's going to help, you know, to push your tequila brand and all that. But who, who do you think has the better tequila brand? Is it him or is it George Clooney, arguably one of the other most famous men in the entire world? Oh, golly. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've not had either. I've tried them both. I'm more of like my go to's are. Um, have you had Corzo? No, I'm not a huge tequila drinker. Like I'll have a margarita every now and then. But otherwise, I'm not a big tequila person. I just do it for weight loss purposes where like if I know I'm trying to lose weight for a role like I am, I'm doing a role in. New Orleans right now with Taryn Edgerton who played uh, Elton John and Rocket Man. And, you know, we both had to get in shape for this role. And I say in shape, it's not like I'm doing pull-ups on a bar, but I mean, I've lost 40 pounds for this role and, and Taryn's probably lost 20 or 30 just trying to get, you know, like cut for this thing. So I say all that to say tequila is not something I started loving, but then I realized halfway through, like, all my healthy friends drink tequila and now I <laughs> yes. need to employ it so that I can keep drinking while I'm trying to cut weight for a gig. Yeah. It's always looking for that clear liquor. That seems to be sort of the key to success for uh, the, the healthier options of drinks. What are you drinking right now? I know you're having an afternoon cocktail. This is a bourbon iced tea with a little lemon squeeze. That seems like a thing to drink in New Orleans. It kind of is. Yeah. It's got a little Southern flair. What's uh, you haven't been able to drink for what? Eight months? Oh, nine months. I am like, I'm 37 weeks pregnant right now. I am like to the max. I'm pretty much capped out and I'm ready to go. Is your Dasani just going to burst while we're talking? Is that <laughs> I hope happen? so. I would love nothing more. I would you love be for my that doula. to be my distinction of my, my time on, on your podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll switch it to a FaceTime. I'll bring you to the hospital with me and you can guide me through this. Yeah, I, I think will be your be great. male doula. I'm totally prepared for that. Oral Sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Uh, why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game. And I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match of up to 500 smackaroos when you make your first deposit. Just go to FanDuel.com slash cowherd for more info. FanDuel.com slash cowherd. FanDuel, more ways to win. Yo, shout out to our mutual friend, CM Punk, wearing the shirt. I'm a big fan of your homeboy. I think he's a, a terrific talent. Where would you like to see him show up and wrestle? When does that happen? What is your prediction on that? I get asked this in like every interview I'm in. I'm like, I don't know why I'm so synonymous with this man. I mean, it's cool and he's a good friend of mine, but like, I can't, I'm not, I don't know what he's doing. I think he's a little bit nervous or a little bit scared. And I don't think he's Whoa. a fearful guy whatsoever. I don't mean that as a character trait of Phil. I'm just saying there's been so much build and so much time has passed and the MMA stuff happened. I think there's, I think he would be a liar to say there isn't some serious fear and insecurity with jumping. I don't even think it's what company I think he'd be 
cra- I think he'd make crazy money and draw a billion eyeballs at any company, whether it's Impact, New Japan, Connecticut, or or Tony Khan Island. I think he can do well at any of them. It's not a question of if he'll do well. It's is he going to feel comfortable and ready to take the the bumps and the bruises and pay the price again? Because it's a different lifestyle than going to Comic Con and writing comic books. And I mean, he's 45, isn't he? He's probably mid forties. Yeah. He's made, he's 40 something. He's in those forties. And like, I don't know that physically that it's something that he would be worried about, but something that I would at least take into consideration. I mean, you see somebody like edge come back who had been gone for, you know, 10 years or however, however long that edge was gone for him to come back. And everyone's like, hell yeah, we finally get edge. And like to have that pop at Royal rumble to see him like, you know, start back on this journey of being back in the ring. But then we still have very fickle fans that want to shit all over his WrestleMania match. And like, that's tough. My whole theory on that, that shit is like, dude, there's always going to be haters. Like there are people that hate the Godfather. There are people that hate pizza. It's just whatever. But I mean, if Phil went anywhere he wanted, he would make a ton of money and do really well. But I, I'm, I'm buddies with Edge. I've known him for a while. And he'll be the first to tell you that comeback he's made and how great he looks. I mean, that took so much work. Oh my God. To tell these people like, Hey, stop acting and doing podcasts and dedicate yourself the way these 26 year olds are doing it. Like that's a lot to ask. Oh my God. I mean, I'll always remember. I I think it was uh, when Daniel Bryan came back maybe. And he had like these gnarly bruises all just from like running ropes again. Cause you'd not done it in so long. Like your butt and there's no other way. I mean, this is coming from me just being around the business, not actually being in the ring, but to get your body back to ring shape. There's no other way to do that except for getting in the ring. Tell me about your body. You've lost 40 pounds. What have you been doing? Um, I knew this was going to come up. I just, <laughs> it was a matter of time. You were living with DDP for a little while? Yeah, he was gracious enough. And gracious isn't even the word. They, ha- they have to kind of invent a new word for Dallas's uh, latitude of kindness that he's bestowed to me. He's saintly. That guy's incredible. He, um, he let me stay with him for seven weeks. And in that time, I lost about 35 pounds, 40 pounds. And um, he just taught me a lot about nutrition. And then the number one thing he really tapped into, which was very embarrassing and humbling, was um, just my lack of self-love, you know, my lack of self-care and the fact that I, I was so quick to service and love everybody else and not take care of myself was very damaging. And I would say that combined with a dark self-deprecation sort of veneer I put over everything. I think he kind of tapped into that and said, you know, I'm here to help you physically, but you need help mentally, emotionally, probably more than you do physically. The body will follow where the mind goes, you know, and he, he kind of tapped into that, which was pretty remarkable. It really helped me. Was that something that you, you, did you heed that advice? There will come a day in two to five years where I win an Emmy and a golden globe and i I, I'm in a relationship that I believe in. I'm feeling good about my life. And I'll still have those voices of ambition and doubt and dissension and confusion. And I feel as though I'll never really be settled. I'll always be kind of on the war path. And uh, I don't know that that's a good thing. I think it's good in your youth because it gets you to where you want to go. But at some point, you also got to make peace. Like if Moxley is trying to do a death match when he's 60, Sure, maybe we'll chalk it up to, oh, that's him being him. But I hope he's not doing that at 60. Like, you and me I both. Hope, I hope we find some contentment in our <laughs> in our fucking, in our, in our paths here, because at some point it can be detrimental. Yeah, it, it can be difficult. I mean, yeah, like you said, at first, it's sort of that thing that lights that fire under your ass. But yeah, at what point does that fire start to like simmer? And then it's just like smoking and like we're still able to use it. And we could like blow on that fire a little bit if we needed to. But, you know, you don't want to fully extinguish that, but finding the way to kind of strike that balance can be, yeah, that's tough, especially as we get older and we still are kind of looking in different directions for, you know, different approval and different things that, you know, mean that we've achieved whatever it is that we're kind of looking to do. Yeah. When really we, you know, self-love kind of achieves what ambition and conclusion will never really get to, which is, you know, actual contentment and acknowledgement of self-identity and, and, and peace with circumstances. I mean, 
it's sad that we kind of scrape and claw for all these things. It's great if we scrape and claw for them because we feel, you know, this is what we're called to do and we love it and we're passionate. Passion is good, but I think obsession might lose what passion gains, you know? It's a fine line. It's a very fine line. Have you always been like that? Like exhaustively ambitious? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I guess putting it in those terms, but just like getting, getting your career started. What were you like as like a kid to kind of get to where you're at now? You were, you were raised, your dad was a pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. My dad is a fifth generation Lutheran pastor. My brother now is sixth generation. And uh, we were like very religious, but also we'd watch Seinfeld as a family every Thursday night or whatever. And we loved Jack Nicholson and we loved board games. And, you know, I grew up on Billy Joel and the Beach Boys. And like, there was a lot of art and sort of vibrancy in the household. I really fell in love with acting and I didn't really know how to get there. So I just did everything I could. I did stand up, I did theater, I did improv. I'd write screenplays. I was obsessed with professional wrestling. I knew every move. And, uh, and I figured maybe I'll be Bobby Heenan maybe I'll be Chris Farley. Like I didn't know where I was even going to end up necessarily. I just knew I wanted to land on one of those, one of those places. It's gotta be, or did it feel like such a long shot being in Michigan and trying to figure out where to land that and trying to like figure out which direction to kind of focus on? Or were you sort of tapping into everything at that time and seeing what was going to stick against the wall? Kind of trying to see what would stick against the wall. And, and like, I wouldn't let myself go to that defeatist place of I'm from Saginaw, Michigan. I can't become so-and-so because the more I researched all the people I love, the more I realized they came from places like mine. And that kind of normalizes it and makes you go, Oh, they joined a theater company or they did second city or so-and-so created their own web series. Like it was very it became very clear that there was a pathway. You just had to take one. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in-play, so the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use, and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA InPlay is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA InPlay today. How do you pick your projects? Because it seems like uh, not blowing smoke up your ass, but it seems like every project you work on is a fucking cool ass project. Like you've not worked on anything that's just been kind of like meh. It's always stuff that seems very like buzzworthy and your star just is continually on the ascent. Do you like, is it just flipping through scripts yourself? Is it your management? Like, how do you do that? It's turning down a lot of indies and sometimes indies that pay good money and it's waiting for something that excites you. Um, so good example. I was shooting a pilot up in Canada, up in Vancouver in uh, November, 2016. And while I'm there, I'm having a blast working with this great group of actors, having the time of my life, getting paid to do very little work. It was a dope gig because uh, you're part of an ensemble. So it's like, imagine getting paid the same as John Cena, but you're just part of the Wyatt family. You know, like that's kind of what it felt like. And, and uh, I was loving it up there, but I get an email that says, Hey, you want to audition for this movie, I, Tanya? And I look at it and I'm like, the screenplay is like one of the most heralded screenplays of the year prior. They have Margot Robbie, who's like the biggest thing right after um, Suicide Squad and Wolf of Wall Street. And then what a dreamboat she is. Good God. She's so cool. And then Allison Janney, like I grew up watching Allison Janney and everything from freaking Miracle on 34th Street, Drop Dead Gorgeous, West Wing. Like, I love that woman. So She's so great in Juno. Oh, oh she's so, so good. Good. good in everything. And so that was one of those things that I was like, I'm already happy. I'm content. I'm working a job. 
and and I got kind of called up to the main the main roster and <laughs> and then like right as I'm promoting I Tanya, right when it's about to come out, I got the audition for Black Klansman with Adam Driver and Spike Lee. None of them had even seen I Tanya. They knew nothing about me. I just had a good audition. And so right on the heels of I Tanya, I get Black Klansman. No big deal, right? No, it's just like back to back, like dope people. And then I'm starting to get offers from other people. Like I remember I think I got like an offer from um, Hawaii Five-0, that show on CBS. And it's not a very hip show. We're living in the, we're in a post-Breaking Bad world. We hold our television in the highest regard. So like when they're tugging my shirt saying, do you want a bag of money to play a character on our show for a month in Hawaii? It's like, I want to do it, but my reps, my agents and managers are like, no disrespect to Hawaii Five-0, but you can't go from Spike Lee and... Robbie to Hawaii Five O. So suddenly my life changes overnight, and I'm turning money jobs down all the time. I can't do the bingo halls because I'm in. Yeah, yeah, you're booked and busy. That's crazy. Wow. Straight offer on Cobra Kai where they said, hey, we think you're funny. We thought of a part for you. Would you do this? And once again, it was one of the things that I was going to pass on. I think I took a bus. This is like 2018. This This is back when I was still struggling for money just like two, three years ago. But like, I was like taking a bus or the train to a meeting in Culver City to meet with all the Cobra Kai guys. And I have an iPad that's playing the episodes because I hadn't seen the show. So I watched three episodes in a row before walking into the meeting. And I'm like, I'm in love. I'm hooked. I have to do the show. So I walk into the meeting. I'm like, we're doing the show. Doesn't matter what my reps say. We're doing it. And uh, then it turned into this big, crazy hit on Netflix, which I didn't know was going to happen. Uh, so all these types of things happen where Clint Eastwood says, Hey, I need you to replace Jonah Hill in my movie. And it, someone like me is like, what the hell is going on right now? It doesn't, doesn't even feel real, but those things keep lining up and happening. So half of them are by my creative hand and I'm trying to pick and choose, but dude, there's like 50% of things that come to me out of nowhere that like, I literally just give credit to God and I'm grateful that they happen the way they do, you know? Very serendipitous. Yeah. I mean, but also, you know, it's putting in all that hard work and being immensely talented to have those skills showcased. But like you said, I mean, to go from, from doing uh, I, Tonya and not even having had that movie out before booking your next gig and people seeing how good you were in that movie is very, very cool. Um, what about uh, doing, doing kingdom? How was that for you? Oh my gosh. That was a crazy story. The moment, the audition, the morning of the audition for kingdom, I was living in a two bedroom apartment in North Hollywood with three other people. Four of us were splitting a two bedroom. I'm working at five guys, the burger place in studio city. And I'm super depressed and unhappy because I know I'm a capable actor, but I'm not working and I'm broke as shit. And I'm eating like seven 11 pizza and sushi. I'm just living in this disgusting hellhole. And I'm in my bathroom that morning and I just say to God, I'm, I just, I'm a God guy. I believe in God. And I just said, I was like, dude, I'm dying on the vine. If you want me to go be a teacher, I'll go be Robin Williams and dead poets. Like I will go inspire and love people and make them feel great and be an awesome teacher. But I can't keep doing this. I, I need a fucking break. I basically said that to God and walked out and my buddy, Chloe Lanier, she's an incredible actor. She had a big run on, uh, she won a daytime Emmy for general hospital. But she and I were living together at the time. And she goes, uh, good luck on your audition. I'm like, I'm not going to get it. And she goes, just because you said that, you're probably going to get it. Watch. So I go in and I read this part and they go, oh, you're reading for the bully. I said, yeah. They go, we thought maybe you'd be reading for Keith. And I said, who's Keith? And they said, that's the character that gets bullied. And I go, dude, you got to let me audition for the guy who gets bullied. That's way more in my nature than to play a bully. So I take 45 minutes at the sides. I go memorize them. And I go in and I just kind of went nuts. The character was kind of crazy and I kind of leaned into it and I was like throwing shit around the room and like screaming and crying and stuff, kind of like heavy actor acting. But, um, but I did it really went for broke. And like two, three days later, I got a call and they said, you got the job. And, you know, I didn't know what the show was going to be. They said, it's a show about MMA starring Nick Jonas and it's going to play on direct TV. And I said, that sounds less like a real show and more like a mad <laughs> The hell is that? Like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, dude, just come and do your thing. So I showed up and 
I was only supposed to do two episodes, but I just improvised and made the character my own and kind of put him on the autism spectrum and, and leaned into some PTSD character traits. And I just went for it, especially as a guy who hated his life working at a burger fast food joint, living with three people in a two bedroom apartment. It was like every day I showed up to set was like me trying to crawl my way out of my circumstance. And then two episodes turned into seven seven turned into 25 and I quit my day job. And that show made me a working actor where I haven't had to work a day job since March of 2015. What a relief that is the day that you get to go. I'm not coming back here, bitches. (laughs) Like it is the biggest relief of all time ever. It doesn't. Oh, it's just so surreal. It's so surreal. And, and, and it sucks when I lose sight of it, which I do. Because we are, we're all human. We're all, we get to this place where we sometimes feel entitled or we're a little too expectant and it's not healthy. You know, it's healthier to be able to reflect and look back and realize like, you're not, you're not flipping burgers, dude. You used to flip burgers. But you know what? That time spent doing that, flipping the burgers, waiting the tables, grinding it out at auditions. Those are the things that make you so appreciative when things finally connect. You're like, man, I have been busting my ass, putting in this work. I mean, I remember being like that the day that I got to quit at my job waitressing. And I was like, thank God. I was, I mean, I was, was uh, so I finally got a job um, working for a sports station in Toronto. And uh, there was only really like two gigs that I, because at the time I was like, I need to find a way to get on national television. That was just like my goal to like figure something out that was like something more substantial, something a little more concrete. Um, so it, there is, we have much music, which is like our MTV and then we have, okay. yeah. And then we have the score amongst other, you know, we've got TSM, which is like our ESPN, but the score did more comedic style interviews with athletes. So I was like, Oh, I want to do that. I could do that. Um, so once I, you know, I finally secured that job after like all these auditions and hounding people and literally calling people and emailing people like left, right and center. And I in my, the bar I worked at was actually just like around the corner from where this TV studio was. So I would always come back to work and like go back and like do my waitressing shift and, and kind of clock in and be like, guys, I think I got the job. And they're like, yeah, right. It's not happening. And it did drag out for so long. I was like, fuck, I don't think the contract is coming through what's happening. And then when it finally did, I was like, thank God, because my boss was like, uh, all right, kid, it's not happening. Not happening for you. Thank God it did. I was with my buddy Greg Renee and my buddy Robbie Peschke. The three of us were at the Staples Center in L.A. We're going to a Laker Piston game. I was treating them. They were in town visiting me in L.A. The night I took them to this Laker game, I got a, I got a phone call from my manager, this guy, Brian Walsh. He calls me to tell me that I've been picked up for 14 out of 20 episodes of Kingdom, which was the call that allowed me to quit my job. So like they were there the moment I got the call in the Staples Center and and I have them on speaker. It was like a scene out of like Entourage or something where I'm with my buddies. We find out life altering news and we all celebrate and go nuts. And like that night was just I'll never forget that night of that feeling of like the release, like, oh, my God, I'm going to be okay. Thank you, God. I'm going to be okay. That's amazing. I I love hearing stories like that. It's so cool when that can happen. And like in that momentum just kind of keeps building, obviously, as it has for you, which is so cool to watch. Um, Okay, so Cruella is going to be coming out on Disney Plus, correct? Disney Plus, they have something called Premier Access. I guess you can purchase it there for like 30 bucks. And the, the thing is, if you have a family of four, a wife, husband and two kids, I mean, you're each getting to watch the movie for like $8, which, you know, is half of what you would probably pay at a theater nowadays. So you can do it there or I'm going to be seeing in theaters. I mean, to me, I'm not afraid to go back to the movie theaters. It's still a pastime. I, I cherish along with live sporting events and church and concerts. Like I need that in my life. So uh, I hope people see it in theaters, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, I mean, that is something, I mean, John and I are huge movie theater people. That's like all we would do. We would go out and grab like food and go to the movies, have a cocktail at the movies, which is such a lovely luxury. Um, but I can't, I can't wait to go back to do that again. Going to the, like watching a movie at home is fine. I'm sick of my couch at this point though. I want to sit in the theater. I want to like have that experience with other people around me. It's, it's the best. Yeah. We need that back. I think it's just, it's part of, I don't know. All these things keep us sane. Don't they? I mean, like, let's bring it back to wrestling. Like 
I don't watch wrestling because it makes me look cool. Cause it, it really doesn't seem to most of the time. <laughs> um, I watch wrestling because it makes me happy and is a distraction from real life for two hours, Yeah, you know? And, and I think the movie theater is like a, a playground and environment for healthy shared distraction with a bunch of other people. And when you're at a sporting event or a concert and you're sharing lyrics with someone next to you or a chant, it's like, there's something kind of magical about that. I don't mean to be all gooey and ooey. I just mean like, that's special. Like being, I've been, I've been to WrestleMania. I've been to double or nothing. I was there the night John premiered at double or nothing. And the feeling we all had when he walked in, it was so emotional for everybody. And it wasn't emotional the way Dustin and Cody were emotional. It was emotional because John leaving Connecticut and telling all the AEW fans, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll be one of you guys now. It sent a shockwave through all of us that said, hey, I see you, I agree with you, and I agree with you to the degree that I will sacrifice my money and risk everything to join this company and help you guys make that noise. And like that moment is profound to share that with 40,000, 10,000 other people, whatever it is. I don't want to lose that. And I hope that we reconnect with that and, you know, sort of um, reestablish that importance of having that human connection. I think we very much live in a world where everyone's like, "Eh, I don't like people. I don't like socializing, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's kind of bullshit. We all really do love. We love hanging out with our friends, even if it's a small group of friends and it's hanging out with your family or whatever. But like having that human connection is so necessary. Sharing experiences with other people is so necessary. It makes us human. It makes our little hearts tech. It does. It does make us human and, and recognize the humans around us because I think COVID really did a number on our psyche collectively where we became grouchier and more mean spirited because we weren't sharing anything in real time other than the headlines that we would all, you know, Oh, I guess our commonality is we're all constantly bitching and complaining and hating. That's like, that is a horrible commonality. I'd rather find a commonality sitting next to you in a movie theater. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. 100%. Um, speaking of places to go and bitch and moan, you're back to Instagram. What happened? I, I never had that many followers. I think I had 65,000 or something back back when uh, January 1st hit. But I just, I, I needed a mental, emotional break from Instagram. But in doing so, I deleted the entire thing. I didn't pause it. I just deleted it. So it was just very funny how like for two, three months, I was so happy and satiated with not dealing with social media other than tweeting out, you know, I tweet out harmless shit. I tweet out like Bible verses and clips from AEW. Like it's nothing, but like Instagram was this thing that was kind of consuming in a bad way. And then my reps kind of came to me and they're like, you really ought to get back on Instagram. Oh, and I was brother. like, oh. and then I was like, you know what? I should. Cause you know, there's a way to promote and that's part of my job. I need to honor that. And then also, you know, if I get enough followers, maybe I can do good stuff with it too. Like do birthday fundraisers or promote other people's stuff. And there is a lot of good to be done, but, uh, but I'm now paying somebody else to do it and I don't have to, be on it constantly. And I can just, I can say what I want to say and then leave it alone and not look and like, not look at the messages that are like, can you send this nude photo to Sebastian Stan? Can you send this <laughs> tattoo I got of Taryn Edgerton to Taryn? I'm like, no, you crazy people stop oh, messaging me, my please. God. But, um, but yeah, if you want to follow yeah. me at Paul W. Hauser Graham, I think is I think is the name app. Wait, you've got another name? Oh, for Instagram. Oh, for Instagram. Sorry. Yeah, app Paul Duh. W. Hauser wow. Graham. I was like, wait. Yeah. How did you decide when you were getting into acting to keep it to Paul Walter Hauser to go with the three names? My grandpa's name was Walter and he died when I was like seven. So like we were homies, but I didn't get to know him that well. I probably only met him four times or at least that I recollect. So I was kind of taking up his first name, which is my middle name to honor him. Like seventh or eighth grade, I started putting on all my homework assignments, you know, Paul Walter Hauser. Oh, you've done that since you were young. Yeah. Since I was like 12 or 13, I I like changed my name to Paul Walter Hauser to honor my grandfather, not for acting purposes. But then you book your first role and they're like, what do you want your name to be? You're registering with SAG-AFTRA. And it's like, 
yeah, there's no way in hell there's two Paul Walter Hausers. I'll do that. And sure enough, there, I think there, there might've even been a Paul Hauser. I'm not sure. Wow. I always just like kind of assumed that that would have been like a very distinguished stage name. It just sounds very regal and together. You sound like you're ahead of the curve. You know what I realized is all three names, Paul Walter and Hauser have a consonant followed by the letter A. And there's something unconscious, the same way of, you know, the same thing of like um, subliminal marketing, you know, there's something about the consonant next to an A on all three words that looks kind of shiny or something. You know, those hot takes you post on social media. Well, now you can win up to $5,000 when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. So here's how it works. FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three-pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of $5,000 during every contest. FanDuel is the exclusive home for over-under, and it's available in all 50 states. You can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com slash over under and sign up now. If you've not done so already, please just do it. You're going to love it. Just create a new FanDuel account. If you don't already have one, it takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then you put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at fanduel.com slash over under. They could be worth up to 5,000 bucks. Do it. Age and location restrictions apply. See fanduel.com for terms and conditions. Who from wrestling would you love to work with that you would love to like see step into your world? Well, for one, I think you could do it with your eyes closed. I think you would kill it. I could see you doing like, do you remember Bonnie Hunt in the movie Jumanji? Yeah. Bonnie Hunt's amazing. Also, she had a great talk show that I don't think gets nearly enough credit. When she did the Bonnie Hunt show, she was amazing. Yeah, I love Bonnie Hunt. You could totally do her. Or Helen Hunt. You know, you think of Helen Hunt and like Twister. I could see you doing something like that. And I think Cody and Dustin Rhodes are, are capable actors. I think your husband was one of the only people that could make the Marine movies like watchable. And I, I believed what he was doing. You know, I haven't, <laughs> yeah. seen, I haven't seen the cage fighting movie he did, but I look forward to seeing that at some point. But I I think of all the actors I look at, you know, if I could choose one person to walk into the actor world, you know, what? I would really love to see my buddy Anthony Agogo, like be in the new Game of Thrones prequel. I'd love to see him get on like a recurring role in like a sword and sandal epic type thing. I think he would crush it. I feel like you're saying this and everyone's probably going to be like, wait, can you actually hook me up with that? You must have the means to make that happen for me, right? No, I'm still trying <laughs> no. to find my next job. Uh, <laughs> but I've met a couple guys and gals from AEW and, and WWE that I've, there are people I've pitched before for jobs. I've pitched wrestlers and stuff like that. I think, I think MJF would be brilliant in like a Judd Apatow movie. You can make him the, the asshole boyfriend in like a Seth Rogen movie. He would be amazing. Yeah. He could be like, in like the can't hardly wait. Amanda. Yeah. He's become a, he's a good buddy. He, um, he helped teach me about cryptocurrency. I got into the crypto thing a little bit. Yeah. What a tall order that is. I, like as if we needed another thing piled on top of all the other to-do lists, like, wait, what is this happening? What's scary is the U.S. dollar, like, you know, I watch a lot of interviews of economists who give predictions and I'll watch their predictions from nine months ago to see if any of them happen presently. And you can kind of track through the people who do it for a living where you realize, like, we're not on a gold standard. We're not backed by anything. We owe China an insane amount of money. And we're all kind of borrowing from each other at random and making all these backdoor deals to try to stay afloat. And it's like, at some point, we will have to find another answer to currency. I don't, I don't know that crypto is the answer, but I'm keeping my eye on it just in case. You know, I'm glad you are because now I know that I have a bit of a source to be like, hey, what's going on here? Because my dumbass doesn't know shit about it. My dumbass like, doesn't either. Although <laughs> I, made, I made a little bit of money. I think I, I put in like 13 grand and I've, I might have made like, you know, 20 or something. I don't know. Okay, we'll take it. That's not bad at all. I'm working on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. I will let you get back to your day. I'll let you get back to your, what is it? A, a whiskey 
uh, iced tea? Um, it's it's drunk. It is gone. It has been drank, <laughs> it's drinking. It's gone and finished. Um, done and done. Last question I'll ask you. Oh. Is um, what do you think is the wrestling movie that needs to be made more than any other wrestling movie? Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's a good one. Cause you know, we have been deep into watching all of the, um, dark side of the rings. I love all of those fascinating, amazing stories. Um, I know that you're putting out into the ether, trying to get this four horsemen movie up and running, right? Like how, how do we not have that? How does that not exist? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they're waiting for. You know, they were trying to make this Vince McMahon movie with Bradley Cooper and they're never going to get Bradley now. He's too, he's doing his own thing. He's not going to play Vince McMahon. So like they've made attempts for different films. I heard that the Hulk Hogan movie is supposed to happen, but you know, I don't know if they have a script that they're ready to shoot with, but I, I think like you put me and Sebastian Stan as Ric Flair and Arn Anderson in a Four Horsemen movie. And then you cast, like, I really want Ethan Supley for uh, Ole Anderson. Okay. And then get, like, uh, somebody whacked out of their head, like Ben Foster or Emile Hirsch to play Tully Blanchard. Ben Foster is Tully Blanchard's brilliant. I like that a lot. I mean, I like Emile Hirsch a lot, too, but Ben Foster would be great. You tell a 24-hour story where you start with, like, you show Rick in a match and Rick is just like leaving, leaving the ring covered in sweat, drenched, looks exhausted and he's getting grabbed by women and kids and all this stuff. And then he gets back to the locker room and he's like, okay, boys, where are we going tonight? The party's in North Carolina gets into his whole thing. And then you follow like a 24 hour binge of like, all these guys, the road warriors and steamboat and the four horsemen, everybody's going out drinking and you follow them like a docu crew and do cinema verite. You get to have the fun stuff like Ric Flair trying to get one of the little people laid <laughs> and like sticking steamboat with like a $2,400 bill at the bar. Like you do an accumulation of all the famous Ric Flair stories in one night. But with that also comes Hey, uh, road warrior animal, can you stuff this in your luggage and take this back to the Carolinas? My kid needs a birthday present. I'm not going to be there. You get the heavy personal stuff with the fun, humorous stuff. And then by the end of the film, the whole third act could just be like Dusty and Rick doing a 30 minute Broadway. Who would be a good Dusty? I mean, I think Dustin could do it. Sure. Sure. If they did some prosthetics or something, I don't know. But um, that's really tough. I think most people would see me as Dusty. I like you as Arn. I think that's a great move. His his promo work is just so epic. I know I can do it. But uh, I think the film ends with Rick and Dusty doing like a cage match covered in blood. You shoot it like for real. Like we get to watch the two actors actually have the match. And then afterwards, Rick is depleted, bleeding. Blood is crusting over his skin with the sweat and maybe some tears. And he's sitting alone. And the camera's pulled back from the, the end of the locker room and we're seeing him by himself. And then all of a sudden you hear a beer crack from off camera and he pulls it in a frame, takes a sip and it's like Popeye with the spinach. And all of a sudden it's boys, where are we going tonight? And midway through the talk, cut to cut to black and credits jazz music. <laughs> like It's the idea that he never stops. The nature boy never stopped. The guy was equal parts brilliantly creative and sort of mentally ill and just kept going to the degree that uh, he's led this iconic lifestyle. But, you know, one night with the nature boy would exhaust an audience of moviegoers. And yet they have to remember. Let me tell you, I've been there and done it. It is exhausting. Let, oh my God, a hangover that'll last you a week. Good God. And I got him in like his sixties. I want the audience to feel that. So I, yeah, I think that movie should happen. I think they should let me write it. And me and Sebastian can play Rick and Arn. I feel like you need to write it. You need to get that ball rolling in my, so my last question to you is, do you still feel like wrestling is sort of like that black sheep of entertainment? Is it still sort of frowned upon or, you know, looked down upon uh, amongst Hollywood? I think it kind of is. I think, you know, when I talk about wrestling, I, I show wrestling and talk about wrestling to everybody. So whether I'm working with Sebastian or Emma Stone or Rockwell, it's like they always say stuff like, oh, yeah, the immortal Hulk Hogan. 
or oh yeah, who's the Undertaker and the the pale guy with the who carried the ashes? Like they know bits and pieces, but they don't take it seriously or know why it's awesome. So you know, I would love to play a small part in legitimizing wrestling to Hollywood and making a great wrestler movie that could be competitive for award season. That would be the best entry into people taking it more seriously. That's on your shoulders now, Paul. That's all on you. We're waiting for you to make this happen. We're ready. Thanks for always being like such a massive wrestling fan and like just being so damn cool and wanting to have these conversations and shine a light on all that stuff. It's, it's really, really cool. Thank you. This was fun. You know, I'm a fan of yours. And, uh, Thank at you. some point, uh, I got to make it out to wherever you guys live. I think you guys are in Nevada. We're right? in Las Vegas. Yeah. Just stop over on your way back to LA. We're here. Yeah. I got to come in. We got to do like a cooking video or something and, and please and feed that baby of yours, that baby Bubba. When is that baby due? Literally any minute. She's due June 11th, but she could come any day. Yeah. I mean, we're there. We're there. She's primed. I'm just waiting for her to let me know now, but I feel like she's going to be a lot like her dad and be on her own clock. So she's probably going to be late. Maybe. It's Okay. Better late than never. I'm going to give her the blessing I give to all. I do. I do like a blessing in my head when I see like kids in the airport or in a shopping mall or something. My blessing is just God bless this child. May he or she um, be blessed with uh, kindness, laughter and friends. So I'm, oh, I'm I love that. putting that on you. And uh, she's got pretty cool parents. I think she's very lucky. Thank you very much. That's very, very sweet of you. And send my best to sweet little Harris. What a guy. We'll do. Can't wait for you to meet him. Yeah, definitely. Bring him out. We'll, we'll have a hell of a time. I'll make that beef Wellington for you. Please. Yes. Or, um, or I'll take <laughs> him to his first wrestling show, which will be, uh, will be like the thrill of my life. Hopefully he likes <laughs> it even one eighth of my obsession. Enjoy New Orleans. Enjoy working on this new project. Everybody check out Cruella and um, follow my dude back on Instagram. He's back, baby. Back, baby. Thank you so much, Renee. <laughs> and uh, please tell your husband to be careful. We love him. Always. I'm always telling him that. Not sure he'll heed our advice. No, he never does. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Big thank you to Paul for hanging out with me. I know he's busy. He's out in New Orleans uh, working on another project. As I said, this man is busy. He's all over the place. He's always got projects on the go and they're always incredible. Uh, this new show that he's working on sounds so great for, uh, for Apple. So looking forward to see that come out. I hope it does come out in the fall around Christmas time. I'm always down for a good true crime documentary style show. Well, I guess it's not documentary, but you get the drift. Can't wait to see that. Um, yeah. So thanks to Paul for hanging out. Let's get that script written. Let's start putting that out into the ether. Cause if there is the man to do it, it's obviously him. So let's all manifest that and make that happen for this guy. You guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette, follow the volume sports. Well, the volume sports on Instagram and Twitter. And as we said in the interview, Paul is back on Instagram. Check him out. He's at Paul W. Hauser Graham. He's got all of that happening. Instagram, Twitter, follow him, like it, subscribe, turn on those notifications, do all of the things. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with me. This has been another episode of Oral Sessions, and I will talk to you next time. <laughs>